Welcome to the 86th episode of Dialika, a podcast between two friends about the latest in politics, society, feminism in Indonesia and the world. I'm Stephanie Tangkilisan. And I'm Sweden Lee. And this week, we're going to talk about a topic that is way over our heads, but we're going to try our best with our flimsy but earnest logic. We're going to talk about the omnibus law that's being discussed right now uh, in political circles in Indonesia. Yeah. We're definitely not legal experts, and this is basically just us being the political... Nor labor experts. Nor labor experts. Uh, but it's just us being, you know, our uh, typical political nerd selves trying to understand this beast that is the omnibus law. Yeah, so we're going to briefly talk about what it is, why you should care about it, and we're going to basically talk about two main portions of this law because it's such a big overarching law. So um, we're going to talk about what is severance payments and do little math experiments to know what, what that means and we're also going to talk we're about we're not the math experts either uh, hey we checked using a calculator um <laughs> but we're also going to talk about the monthly minimum wage and how it's going to be changed depending on what ends up happening so here's to it It's kind of something that people have been telling us they're interested in, but they have no idea what it is or where to start reading about it. So that's kind of our purpose today in trying to talk about it. Um, disclaimer, please check everything we say and listen to it with a grain of salt. But just this is us trying to give you an overall framework to understanding this issue. Yep. So what is this omnibus law, Stephanie? It sounds so ominous and it sounds like... I know. I wonder why they picked this kind of like... Name? scary name <laughs> actually right this whole idea of the omnibus law is because of our good old president jokowi who first named it last year after he won uh, re-election mm-hmm. uh, in a speech last year where he was trying to introduce this concept which is you know omnibus law is a phrase that exists in legal circles this concept of a law that tries to basically streamline existing laws trying to not necessarily deregulate but create a more efficient and structured system so that you know you don't have as many conflicts and contradictions within the legal system, which is par for the course here in Indonesia. Part of it has to do with how Indonesia has performed in the World Bank's 2019 Doing Business Index, in which Indonesia sits on the 73rd position overall out of 190 countries in terms of ease of doing business. So President Jokowi wants to get up there to make Indonesia be in the at least 40th spot. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is kind of like what the kind of larger scheme external to just what's going on here in Indonesia, just trying to put Indonesia in a place where people have an ease of doing business and boost investments uh, for people doing business in Indonesia. Because, I mean, this law isn't happening in the vacuum. It's in a world where um, there's a lot of stunted economic growth and there's mm-hmm. a desire for Indonesia to keep doing well economically for the whole of the country to improve their standard of living. And I think it's always been the classic case about Indonesia over the over the years we've been alive, where it's like, why are foreign investment 
um, going into the other countries in ASEAN, you know, like they'd go to Malaysia, Sing- Singapore for obvious reasons, but like Thailand, Vietnam, like Indonesia is the largest country uh-huh. in this region. And yet it is not necessarily open in terms of regulations to investment and to things that would help the local economy. So I think right. part of Jokowi's purview here is that he not only wants to, it's not just about like opening up the country to investment, but it's actually really about how do we create a system that is more friendly to investment and more friendly to uh, workers that will overall help boost the economy. To sort of like set the stage for what the omnibus law is, um, I think for a lot of people who are not familiar with this, they think omnibus law is like one law that solves everything. Mm-hmm. But actually, it's more of a general term that talks about like how do we introduce uh, what is still a regular bill, a regular undang-undang, mm-hmm. but it just tries to streamline the existing undang-undang, the existing bills. Because, you know, between 2014 to 2018, the government actually published 8,945 regulations. Um, this includes like laws on the presidential level, which is like 765 laws, 7,621 ministerial law, and then 452 like governmental laws. So there's a lot of like laws around laws. this. It's kind of like confusing for different people which to follow. And then there's a lot of things that sometimes contradict each other and overlap. And it's just very confusing for businesses to follow all these rules and then yeah. be consistent with it. So the idea, I think it's not a bad idea to streamline and have a consistent law. Um, it's just like, as with any kind of big bill of legislation, there will be positives and negatives. Mm-hmm. There will be things we agree with and there will be things that you're like, eh, not sure this is such a good idea. So let's just go with you know, the main laws, at least for now, that have been the most contentious and been the most talked about. Yep. So... In terms of the labor laws, which is uh, in the Indonesian circles here, is known as the UU Cipta Kerja or UU Cipkar, basically like job creation laws. Uh, they cover, uh, as a whole, they cover 11 different kinds of topics of interest. And they go from everything from, you know, simplifying uh, licensing, perijinan, you know, getting licenses and permission to do things, to investment requirements, to labor laws, you know, to another more granular parts of um, job creation. Innovation and research, administration. Yeah. So it actually, you know, the, this, this UU Chipkar, UU Cipta Kerja, covers a lot of different parts and segments of the economy. Right. But the one that we really want to focus on right now is the one that covers the labor laws, right? Um, the one around Katanaga Kerjaan. And this has been getting a lot of attention because uh, the big picture uh, view of the revisions are that there will be significant changes to how the minimum wage in this country is being calculated, as well as some of the benefits that current employers have. And I think that has stoked a lot of fire amongst the labor unions across Indonesia who are reacting to these revisions. Essentially, it's like about pasangan. That's kind of a big issue that labor unions have been fighting and complaining about. Mm-hmm. So pasangan, I think, is like a severance, right? Like 
I feel like it's a pretty unique system in Indonesia. It's, it's a secret concept here in Indonesia. Nobody touches the pasangan. <laughs> yeah. So let's start with pasangan first, because I feel like this is the main point that labor unions are very mad about, mm-hmm. too. Like, it's been a central part. So what is pasangan? What's severance? And how does that de- conception differ from maybe a more Western context? So I think, you know, uh, anybody who's worked in Indonesia, who's either been an employer or an employee in Indonesia, knows the concept of pasangan. Um, severance payment. Yeah. And the classic adage about Indonesia, especially working here, is that it is harder to fire people than it is to hire people. Right. Uh, because uh, the laws around pasangan right now is really, I guess you want to say beneficial? Yeah, beneficial. Beneficial to the employee being fired or being let go and less beneficial to the employer. Right, right now, one of the current laws that are in play um, can grant an employee being uh, let go up to 32 times their monthly pay. Right. And right now, part of the potential revisions in the omnibus law is trying to cut that down so that, you know, employers aren't so afraid to fire people because of the high severance that has to come, that has to be involved in doing that. So the way this roughly works is there's this like kind of calculation in terms of how much an employee is must be paid in order to fire him or her. Mm -hmm. So if they work less than a year, it's one monthly wage for that person. Mm -hmm. One to two years, two months, Um, two to three years, three months and so forth, so forth. So basically for every year you work and you're fired, you must be paid one monthly salary. So if the person has, has been working at this place 10 years, it's like 10 monthly salary. So the minimum wage is, let's say, 200 US dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, the person has worked there for 10 years. The company must pay him or her $2,000 in order to fire him or her. Yeah. Uh, and this up to 32 years of work, which means they have to pay them $6,400,000 for if that wage. And it's like at the prevailing wage that the person was fired. It's not like oh, let's like do this complicated math to see your time's salary thus far. So mm-hmm. you, can, you can see like if someone's been working there for 32 years and 6,000, that's a, that's a lot of money to pay out for someone who's worked there for a long time. And the idea of it is to make sure that, you know, if there's changing job markets and all this other stuff, that the employee will be taken care of if they have to switch jobs, you know. Yeah. Um, but... This seems like a lot, which generally this has created a system where the longer they work, the more this intensifies the businesses to fire them for any reason, you know, despite the person's mm-hmm. productivity, you know, all this other stuff. Yeah. The only exception is when an employee actually commits a crime by stealing from the company or blackmail or, you know, a serious level felony type crimes in which then you can fire the person without severance but other than that there's no acceptable reason to fire a person without paying this severance payment and right now there are regulations in place that fines companies and employers who do not give out severance payments so in many ways their hands are tied it's, it's a pretty strict thing like and it's very much enforced i'm sure um so one of the reasons right one of the reasons the government wants to change Pasangan laws, severance laws, is that right now, compared to other countries such as Malaysia, Singapore, even countries in in Europe, Indonesia has one of the highest severance payments 
in the world. Right. And in a way, it's not necessarily a balanced system that actually tries to be a stable system for both employer and employee. And part of the reason why the government wants to fix this regulation is that it wants to balance things out a little bit so that employers don't actually have to keep an employee that might no longer be productive, might no longer be contributing, but because they've been there for years, they cannot have any consequences, right? It's cheaper to just keep them it's, on. It's literally cheaper to just keep them on. Yeah. But then how do other you know, younger workers, people who can be more productive, how do they enter the job market? This has really protected older labor workers who might otherwise be pushed out from their jobs. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've worked on a piece for the New York Times recently where we talked to labor workers in different factories in yeah. Tamarang and Bukasi. And essentially it is, I mean, they concede that like it is at the point where they can, they can stay on their factory job. They've been on the same factory job for 20 plus years, but their kids, their sons and daughters can't work in the same factory as they do because there's no openings because everyone has been employed over 20 years and mm-hmm. um, no one wants to let go of that position and because they work really good nine to fives with no overtime and you know all of that kind of stuff because that's the cheapest way for the companies to operate their businesses mm-hmm. and um, it's the kind of case where like yeah they can buy more machines but at the end of the day it's gonna cost them more money to let people go so let's just operate in the same old way for the way we have for 10 plus years it's, it's that kind of environment yeah. and you can kind of see how it's bad for people because it just makes it really hard for them to find jobs at a good place mm-hmm. that actually obeys labor laws so this ends up pushing people to work jobs that are subpar and you know might skirt the the good labor practices because that's the ones that are available so this includes like people who work as day laborers and stuff you know so there's all it's it's, it's difficult and i think this also creates like a, a second market of like contractors as you said day laborers yeah. Who are working jobs that are, you know, they're living day by day. They don't necessarily have laws that protect them because they live day by day and they li- live under contractor terms, right? Which means yeah. uh, nobody's going to like cover their bases. I mean, it, it, it creates a legitimate secondary market in which there are outsourcing companies yeah. where companies contract outsourcing companies <laughs> in order to create... Um, contracts for employees to be contracted to the outsourcing company for work at the factories or the main companies Mm -hmm. so they can avoid hiring people as a full-time worker at the factory because the current way the law works is that you know you have a probationary period of one to two years and then Mm -hmm. after that the company has to decide whether or not to take them out as full-time employees right yeah so if they don't use outsourcing companies, they have to decide to take them as a full-time and all of the severance payment system will apply to them. And that's kind of like a lot to take on for some companies if they're hiring hundreds or thousands of people. And then um, the, so outsourcing companies exist in order to manage the payroll of that group of people who might be more um, temporary, right? And um, that job might not exist or in two years, or there's a lot of fluctuations in, mm-hmm. in that kind of labor market, which, you know, it's not necessarily clear if it makes sense to have people work for the company on a permanent basis if you're not sure if you're going to stay in that business for the next five to ten there's years. There's no incentive to actually invest. Because the order of operations is if you have a permanent employee and your company fails, you have to pay the employee severance first before paying back creditors. That's another mm. separate issue, but 
that's the thing. That's like how much Indonesia prizes labor and laws and like yeah. labor unions. And it just it just goes to show how important Pasangan is uh, for people here. And it's one of the sacred things that is being discussed right now. And I think that kind of like impacts everything else a little bit, right? Because as you said, companies are not incentivized to necessarily fire people. They're much more incentivized to protect themselves by hiring these outsourcing companies, almost like creating a, a middleman in order to prevent them from having to pay severance payments. Uh-huh. And I think for a lot of people in government and regulatory bodies, they want to like streamline this a little bit. So that it creates a much stronger and more stable business environment for both employers and employees. Right. But I guess the big question right now is, how do you do this without essentially offending all the labor unions, right? How do you take back a, a, a structure that they've already had for years and they've become comfortable and cushy on? And in many ways, uh, one can argue that perhaps the Pasangan system was already flawed to begin with because it gave so much to the workers. But I do think there's... Uh, I'm speculating here, but I feel like... There are good things about it. Yeah. You know, like, we started off as a country with a strong, like, union and labor background. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that might have influenced the creation of the system. And I think now, as we're trying to uh, build a more stable economy that is not only inward-facing, but also outward-facing... Capitalist country? Let's be real. Uh, Yeah, yeah. A more outwardly capitalist. In a way socialist in the outset even though there's this whole communist scare the current laws uh, yeah the current laws are like more socialist in nature i mean like i feel like europeans would love these laws let's be real <laughs> but right now i think you know jokowi trying to leverage his like businessman mindset um, is trying to make it much more friendly to business and i think we're in a spot where this country's economic trajectory is tenuous right like is kind of mm-hmm. there are fears about how the economy is going to do um in the future and you know we're we're in a country where it's a rapidly growing population for young people <laughs> so there's a lot of mm-hmm. these young people who do not have these jobs and that's not a good thing um i mean that's one aspect and um it's a very like I think it's kind of difficult for us to talk about because we're not, we have a lot of privilege in, in this conversation Yeah. Um, that we need to acknowledge, but... We are not the ones that are going to be affected the most by the omnibus law. Yeah. Or, you know, but how do we find this middle ground so that we can both build each other up? I mean, like, I, I think, like, being able to get 18 times your monthly salary for severance is still high. I don't think... Which is what the revision is suggesting for severance. Like... Instead of 32 times, how about 18 times? It's it's still, it's still high. high. It's still high. So basically, if you, it's still like if your monthly salary is two thousand uh, two hundred dollars a month, and then you quit after X amount of years, it's gonna be um, three thousand six hundred to fire you, right? It's still it's still a significant burden. You know, I understand that point of view. Like if you're in your fifties and then you get fired and you have a severance payment that will not pay you for the rest of your life. Um, how do you get a job at that age, right? So I understand that concern as well. It's just like, how do we balance the needs of young people and, and the country and businesses while still understanding of and need for people to live? 
uh, listeners, as you can tell, we've spent a huge amount of time just talking about one specific detail about the labor laws, yeah. just about severance. Uh, one of the things I also want to talk about, aside from severance, right, that's sort of like on the end stage of employment. Right. One of the things that's being discussed right now is on the uh, beginning stage of employment, which is minimum pay. And I think that's a, a huge discussion right now in the omnibus law. This is somewhat where I, I think I'm more on the labor law side, labor union side then. Uh, the one that where I was on for the severance payment stuff. Yeah. So what is being proposed right now with the omnibus law is that they want to revise how a minimum wage is being calculated. Mm-hmm. So right now, the way that minimum wage is being calculated, it's not only about the base minimum wage. Um, employers also have to consider the regional monthly minimum wage, which is usually set by like a, a regulatory body, right? And this regional means like Kabupaten. It's set by local governments of different. So it would be set by the governor of Jakarta for Jakarta. Or, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's really varied, essentially. There is a calculation around the economic growth of the area as well. That also plays a part into the equation. Inflation. And generally, the way it's done is like it always trends upwards. And it's been really good mm-hmm. because... You know, you, you would the regional government would bring in labor unions and discuss and come to an agreement about next year's minimum wage, as opposed to just like, oh, I think this year we're just going to upset at this. You know, it, it's like a very collaborative process. Right. It's, it tries to be more generous in order to buffer um, any upcoming inflation or anything like that. Yeah. So right now, what the omnibus law is proposing is that they want to revise minimum wage calculation to be more about the actual time being spent, you know, the hours being used for work, and also to take out inflation. Right. And that's been a huge uh, controversy for a lot of the labor unions because they're saying that you cannot just discount inflation, especially like inflation when it comes to the granular level about like different locations and different era. You never know, like the inflation in Jakarta is vastly different from like the inflation in Bekasi or like other regions, right? But how do you create a calculation that is uh, a one-size-fits-all solution, which is what the government is trying to propose right now? Currently, the way salary is, that in terms of regional versus provincial salaries, is that for, let's take for a good example, West Java. It's a really big province. Yeah. There's a lot of regency cities and really different like minimum wage regulations. So the way it is now... In economic situations, right? Uh-huh. The way it is now, like places like Bukasi and Tangerang, which has a regional salary set by the local governments at four point four million or four point five million in Karawang, which is roughly three hundred fifteen dollars um, per month, will no longer have to, you know, stick to that. They can go with the provincial minimum wage as opposed to a regional minimum wage, which is one point eight million, which is roughly yeah. So that's like a $200 difference. Mm -hmm. So it kind of like erases the standard of living for people living in regions that are more expensive to live at. um, And like kind of potentially like halves the salary for people living in this highly industrial area, which is like doesn't pay attention to inflation and higher living costs, like higher rent if you're living in Karawang and Bukasi compared to like further inwards in West Java, which is further from the capital city, right? So I think this is really messed up. For, for sure. And just to play devil's advocate, not not necessarily to play devil's advocate, but to like describe what the government is trying to do, right? They're yeah. trying to 
streamline the way that minimum wage is being determined rather than having it being determined regionally by every kabupaten, by every you know, regency uh, region. They want it to be more provincial. It's based on like the smallest unit of minimum wage is supposed to just be provincial. So it's easier for for investments to come in like, okay, I want to make it something in this state or this state because yeah. the wage for this province is this instead of like um what about this part of the city exactly or like that part of like the dis- like the province that's the idea of it but it totally ignores what is livable salary and i think that's been a lot of what the labor unions have been protesting about because the government is not considering the true cost of living Yeah, when they come to revising the minimum wage calculation. Yeah, and I feel like this is the kind of thing where actually it goes counter to capitalism in a way because like yeah. this is not how you spur economic growth in areas that previously doesn't have a lot of economic growth. So the way this actually sets up is that if you want to create a factory mm-hmm. and you have more limited budget, you don't open a factory in Makassi or Karawang. You open a um, factory in an area with a lower minimum wage where you can like have a pool of people who are less employed at that level mm-hmm. and you know give them work and you can this is how actually Bakasi and Karawang started, right? Because, you know, they had a lower minimum wage, regional minimum wage. So that creates like industrial boom towns and all of this situation. So I think that's just like, buzz. like it just messes people's lives up for a reason that I feel like is good on paper, but not necessarily good in practice anyway. And for a lot of the labor unions, they're saying like this kind of regulation, this kind of like uh, proposed revision is definitely beneficial to the big conglomerates, companies who are trying to cut yeah. down on minimum wage, right? They're trying to essentially shop around for the cheapest minimum wage. And now yeah. the government... Is supposedly like helping them do that because they're just gonna, in in an effort to streamline and make things more efficient, they're actually discounting a lot of the true needs and just the sheer you know uh, numbers game of what a lot of employees have to deal with when they live in these various areas. And I think that's a total valid argument, right? Like I can totally imagine it being like economists or like lawmakers drafting this in their offices and not thinking about how much does it cost to actually live in their AC offices with a nice view of the city <laughs> their nice Starbucks coffee cup <laughs> yeah I can totally empathize with the labor unions I at the same time I will say that I can understand the intention of the government trying to streamline things but I don't think yeah. this is how you do it you're essentially like simplifying for the sake of simplifying right yeah and this is where I feel like it's really out of touch with the lived realities of people's lives because, like, mm-hmm. this is the kind of thing that just would mess people's lives up so much on a day-to-day basis, you know? Like, yeah. destroy dreams, destroy, like... Because with a lot of these factory workers that I've talked to, it's, like, they want that money also to, like, send their kids to school, to send the kids to university so they don't have to be, like, labor workers, right? And, like they can barely do that already with the high inflation rates in Makassi. Mm-hmm. I, I talked to a single mom, and the salary is barely enough to keep her fa- her family going um, with her two kids. Whereas, like her another 
um, labor worker and his wife, they both have to work. And, like, buying a laptop is, like, his wish for his son, you know, to, to be able to do that. So this is not the current minimum wage that, you know, is considered really high in Bekasi. It's not that high for people, mm-hmm. even in double-income families, to be able to afford what they want to do. The lived reality of a lot of these people when it comes to these labor laws, I don't think is being considered enough. Yeah. And I think... You know, as as listeners, as you can tell, you know, we've been, again, we've we've spent uh, this episode talking just about two portions of the labor laws, um, two portions of one segment out of 11 segments in the labor laws. So yeah. if we were going to talk about the omnibus law, we could just start a whole new podcast. Uh, but I think this is the thing about these laws, right? They are trying to tackle a huge problem. They're trying to, in a way, I think they're biting off more than they can chew. We're still in the early days, right? The omnibus law draft has just been sent to Parliament last week. It's being discussed. It will be discussed over over the next few months. They're trying to get it out the door before Labaran, which is at the end of May. Um, but I think I don't think you should try to rush something like this. Yeah. I get that the government wants to create a system for a better economy. I get that they're trying to streamline things and make it, things better, but rushing through it is. I think a recipe for disaster in a country where a lot of voices are already being left behind, not considered in government discussions, right. you know, in policy making. When something as sensitive as people's livelihoods, which is what this is all about, I think you need to involve the people. I think you need to involve various parties. We might all be, you know, fighting uh, with different incentives and different uh, desires, but. Everybody needs a seat at the table, right, to at least have the discussion. And I think a lot of people's concerns right now is that the government is just steamrolling through everyone, trying to get a law done without really considering what the consequences can be. Yeah. And I'm saying this as somebody who who is, as you can tell, between uh, uh, my discussion with Stephanie or between our conversation, I'm in favor of some of the parts of the omnibus law. I'm also not in favor of some of the parts. So it's not like I'm biased one way or the other. I just think... There needs to be more work done. I think this topic is just so understandably contentious. And it's the kind of thing that we shouldn't rush to decide. I think we need to learn. We need to hear from labor unions at the same time. They need to hear from the government's point of view. And it's like, how can we get to a place where we come up with a reasonable, empathetic omnibus law? Mm -hmm. I I don't think this will be the last time we'll talk about the omnibus law. Yeah. I'm sure we will touch on it in future topics, but I think, you know, this is our first attempt um, at discussing parts of it that are interesting to us. And, you know, listeners, if you are interested to hear more about our thoughts on what the omnibus law, what other parts of the omnibus law cover, then let us know. We'll dig deeper into it. There is a whole lot of stuff to dig into. Mm-hmm. I think that's that should be the spirit in which we're entering into this conversation so that we can build for a better and stronger Indonesia. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can find more information and resources of whatever we talked about on our website, delica.id. Music credits to John Dealey, 
Leroy's of Air, and of course, Broke for Free. If you like what you hear and want to support us, please review our podcast on the Apple Podcast app or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. And please share our podcast with your friends. It's the best way to spread the word about Dialogica. If you want to get more involved, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is dialogicapodcast at gmail.com or just shoot us a message on our Facebook page. You can also find us on Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, and on Twitter. Please follow us in these various platforms. Our Twitter handle is at dialogicapod. Also, follow me on Twitter. It's stephtank. That's S-T-E-P-H-T-A-N-G-K. Thank you again and see you guys next time. Bye!